Welcome to the Church of Mavis Radio Show. It's Friday night, 7.01 p.m. Central. Actually, that clock is wrong. It's 7.07 p.m. Central. I'm trying to get all my, my clocks synced around here. You would think the computer one that does it automatic would be right. <laughs> I don't know. The one over here is right. 7.08 p.m. Central. Uh, you're listening to United Public Radio, 107.7 FM, New Orleans. And uh, it's good to be here. We got uh, Christina Giordano here with us tonight. Jay went camping in Georgia. So, and and Jay actually had seen, he always tells this story. He saw a Bigfoot once looking in the window, but maybe he'll run into Bigfoot out there. Who knows? But he's in Georgia camping and hopefully he brought mosquito repellent. <laughs> but uh, Christina's here with us tonight and she's filling in. Christina, good to have you here. Thank you. Nice to be here. And Actually, she's returning. She's done an interview show. before. She's done an interview before, and she's going to sit in. And uh, we got uh, Mark uh, Nelson here tonight. How's it going, Mark? Uh, good to have you here. Great. Nice to be here, Jeffrey. And uh, and you're in Hong Kong right now, right? Indeed, yeah. So it's uh, 12 hours ahead of Eastern Standard Time, so it's Saturday for me. Nice. So I guess... Uh, my initial question, what got you on this path of shamanism? What was the catalyst? What was the start of it all? So that's a very big question and it can be a lengthy answer. I've essentially been involved in this all my life. I started having very interesting visionary experiences when I was very young, as, as a lot of children do. And some people grow out of that and with others, it stays with them throughout their life. And I always had this calling, if you like, to experience the supernatural, explore that and get more involved. And I've done that on and off over my life, but I started taking it really seriously about 25 years ago, stepped fully into the shamanic path. And as soon as you start accepting the calling from spirit, then things start lining up and you're presented with opportunities and you gradually step more firmly onto that, uh, that particular path. So I did a lot of training in the US with the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, and I've been working with people um, basically all over the world. I've been a practitioner myself now for 12 years or so. So I have a large number of students, um, some apprentices, and we'll be doing some online workshops uh, towards the end of this year. So it, it's been something that's been there all my life, essentially, and uh, I'm now um, you know, becoming more fully engaged with the topic. And and did you you had spiritual experiences what what were some of that like dreams i mean what can you tell us about some of the experiences that you first had that was awakening to the spirit so mine are very visionary and i used to have quite a visionary experience in in waking real life i would see animals especially the wolf when i was very young wolf is one of my power animals i'm looking at the wolf on your t-shirt now which is a nice uh, synergy and i also had visions of if you like, beings who are hovering over buildings in mid-air, say. So you know that that's something that's not normal. You learn not to discuss that with adults at a fairly young age. And you, you then know that there is something different. And no matter what else happens to you, you're aware that there is another aspect of reality um, that is there. And you either explore it or you don't. And some people have similar experiences and then don't follow up on that. Uh, and then some people do, and they sort of move more firmly into it. What what kind of beings were they? One of my big experiences was light beings. What what were your type of beings? 
Yeah, so mine seemed to have a, a religious bent to them. So there was one female angelic figure. I, I see other figures that I take to be biblical. Um, but I, I resonate as well with the description of beings of light. That's another common thing. Um, as you get more into this path, you tend to attract um, spirits and you attract other experiences to you and things become more apparent. So as you work more with spirits, you become more used to them being there, you sense them, you start seeing things over time as well. A lot of people have sensory experience of touch, um, usually around the head, especially around the ears and the back of the neck. Um, so I experience all of those things as do other people I know. So it's everything from hearing things, you know, clear audience to seeing, to feeling, or just knowing that they're there. Um, a lot of intuition comes into this as well. You learn to sort of experience when spirits are present, when they're not. I always know if I get ringing in the ears or a buzzing in the head, that's a sure sign that there is something going on. And I've been doing some ritual this morning, so I have exactly those, uh, those symptoms now. I understand what you mean about the touch. That's what I've said it feels like God or a great spirit putting his hand and just touching you is seeing. And that's, that's, I can relate to that for sure. And one of my big experiences has been beings of light. I've seen them in so many weird ways, completely sober. I've seen them not sober, but I've actually, there was a, uh, one of the big ones I had was at Silver Lake, completely sober. I had put on this watchword Bible thing. I grew up Christian. I believe that there's Christ consciousness and truth in there. Uh, I've studied, you know, shamanism. I love Norse stuff and Native American stuff. But I was listening to the Bible that day on DVD, on TV, and something told me to go outside and look in the sky. So I went outside. I looked towards the house I had been in. I saw two beings of light leave the house and fly into the heavens. And it was as if they were in the house and were leaving. And you couldn't see their faces, like eyes and stuff, but they were humanoid. And I've seen them many times in the heavens, like almost like a star, but it's more than a star. I've seen one fly across the air like freaking Superman uh, while I was sitting Indian style. And I've seen them many times, and that's one of my big experiences. And I've also seen some weird UFO stuff. But part of me wonders if, you know, I know you've heard of luminous beings and shamanism, I'm sure. And if it's that, but is it us without our bodies? I've heard aliens, angels. And then I wonder, too, if it's us without our bodies. Is that, is that what we are? You know, is that what I'm seeing? Um is that is that something that rings true to you with some of these beings that you've seen or beings of light so there's obviously many theories about this about what their true nature is what kind of spirit they are if indeed they are spirit sometimes a lot of this stuff is illogical and you can't understand it mentally so the more you try and understand it the more nebulous it becomes in some sense and i've learned over the years not to be too fussed about trying to understand uh, to you know at the nth degree exactly what these things are um, I know they're there uh, I work with things I'm interested in exploring them and, and I, I don't get too hung up on that mental understanding piece and that's something I try and impress on my students as well don't think about that actually go with the experience and step into it and then see where that takes you and see how you can benefit from that uh, I find that a useful way of approaching them 
Definitely, definitely. And uh, and also you have to wonder if we are these energy beings, if when we sleep, if we all kind of project out into the cosmos or something. I think I've seen visions of that where you kind of see into that realm that's around the earth where we possibly go when we die as well. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've asked so many guests trying to figure out what it is and that you you're probably right that's from something i need to work on because you can go crazy thinking about this stuff too much <laughs> trying to figure it out <laughs> that's where i'm at <laughs> but uh but as far as uh and how did you come about finding let's say your animal spirits did you have experiences or did you seek that out to find out what they were so it works both ways. Some people know what their animals are. So when I was very young, I used to see the wolf uh, in my bedroom. I used to wake up and it was there. Uh, my parents couldn't see it, but I certainly could. And so when that became a power animal, that was no big surprise. I always knew that that was uh, one of them. What usually happens is you, you go to a, a workshop or you go to an introductory session with a practitioner and they will do the power animal retrieval for you. Um, and the traditional wisdom is that you accept whatever animal you're given. So you, you may think that something else is an animal, and it may well be because we all have more than one power animal. But certain animals will come into your life at certain points for particular reasons to give you some of their abilities to benefit you in ways that are unique to that animal. So with the animals, you tend to have multiple. I have four one of which I only use for certain types of ritual related to death. Um, the other three I work with more regularly. Um, and some people have these animals or other spirits that are quite specific for a particular, particular purpose, for a certain type of healing, for instance. Uh, and that's quite common. You can retrieve your own power animals. And this is one of the things that I explain in, in the book uh, about how you can actually go about doing that yourself. Um, so some people think that that's not something that you can do, but in fact, if you sort of put your mind to it to think about how you could do that shamanically, indeed it is possible to do it. I know Christina has a lot of weird stuff with owls. Like I've never seen an owl ever, but when she's around, like there's an owl, I've seen them in the tree. She's taking pictures of them. I'm like, I'll never see owls, but for some reason where I'm at here, you hear them so much it's creepy at night like it's scary like it's you get over it but there's a lot of them when you when you have little dogs and stuff you worry that's why it's kind of like a horror movie too but there's a lot of owls here she must have owl medicine for sure and I, i've heard that owl medicine like some people have that with alien encounters and there's whole books about alien encounters and owls and stuff like that as well so owls pretty interesting and definitely weird <laughs> yeah, Ow owls, like all birds, are messengers. Owls are traditionally associated with, with death in some sense. So their their presence usually means that there's an imminent death. That That's a, a traditional sort of uh, interpretation of the presence of owl. But it doesn't always mean that every time you see an owl that somebody's going to die, of course. Um, but they are interesting. <laughs> but the, the, main, the main thing with birds is they are messengers. And uh, that's the key thing to learn from their presence. Cool. And uh, I'd mentioned briefly, me and Christina were at a house and we we're doing uh, hospice care. I'd never done that kind of stuff before. She's a nurse. She's done it before. And her grandmother transitioned. And then there was the mother that, you know, was having trouble there with her and she left. And we had to come here with the house troubles. But that house, for some reason, and uh, we had some weird experiences there. And we've both had ex weird experiences all our life. But some of the experiences there... 
like there was a glass that blew up. I'd never seen anything like that. And I tried to explain the way with science or whatever, but it was still weird because no one was, Christina was the only one near it. It wasn't hot, then cold. It was a strong crystal glass that just blew up for no reason. And maybe there's a scientific explanation, but it was still weird. Like it reminded me of every horror movie you ever see. And you're like, "Uh Oh, this is not going to have a good ending. But, uh, but anyway, and there was something that hit the bed there and I got up with a flashlight and looked around and I could not find, I thought something fell off the shelf and hit it. No. And this was after her grandmother passed. And I don't know if it was the grandmother or not. We have theories about that, but we also, once we moved here, we're, we have an RV here. Something slapped the RV when we were trying to sleep. That was weird. And maybe there's an explanation for it. I don't know what it was. But another thing that we've had at the, the, the weird house, I jokingly say Amityville house. I shouldn't say that probably. But uh, there was a, <laughs> there was a, you usually say death house. Amity yeah. sounds better. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was creepy there, but there was a lot of weird experiences there where we, I would let the sun fill me with white light. And I've had, I have spiritual experiences when I do that. Like I was in the gym with her and I saw a pink orb over everybody in the gym. And for some reason, it's like the sun is, I don't know. I'm not Superman. That's for sure. I'm going to look more like Lex Luthor probably. But anyway, I've had sun experiences and one day I saw a gray standing over the grandmother in the bed and she's sick, you know, and passing away. And it kind of looked out. Like it was surprised. I saw it. And then Christina saw one standing over me and it was, they seem like kind of astral, like they don't seem physical or anything. And they seem kind of like bugs or something. Like, I don't know what the hell they were, but uh, they give me the creeps. But anyway, it, and we've been having a lot of stuff, health stuff, uh, anxiety. I've been having blood pressure stuff, IBS stuff. Just, and a lot of it seems like I've had stuff before, but a lot of it happened at that house, and we're just a lot of stress. And me and her want to do some stuff on with some book writing and some, you know, possibly a YouTube channel and stuff to bring, you know, the word to the spirit and help people and things like that. So sometimes we you know, wonder, I mean, we know it seems like spiritual warfare. I try not to get too paranoid about it, but when you feel like crap a lot and have weird things, you're like, this doesn't feel positive. So I know there's things that you've spoke about in your book and that you know about, like, is it the parasitical? And we're just trying to figure out how to keep these things away from you and, you know, boost your energy to keep them away. And we try different things, meditations and, uh, you know, I have affirmations and oracle cards and try to do stuff, but you still have them, you know, I'd like, I'd love for it to go away. But what can you tell us about that kind of stuff? I know there's a lot, but that could help sure. us possibly. So, so let, let's deal with two separate things. One is the property and the other is the greys. I'll come back to them. So for properties, um, certain properties, because of where they're sited, um, perhaps in relation to geopathic stress areas, um, underground black streams, there are certain locations where properties are going to pick up, for want of a better word, negative energy. Uh, we shouldn't use that term, but that, let's use that for now. So there, there are several reasons why, just because where a property is situated, it's going to pick up energy. That may also happen due to past events in the vicinity of the property, so um, historical battles, uh, accidents, other types of event will also generate that kind of energy. 
the inhabitants can then um, sort of also add to that. So if there are things that have gone on in a property um, that are you know, violent, etc., that's also going to add to this. And what can happen over time is that the property will gather energy and the energy will grow within that property. In the same way that an altar in a church will collect energy and grow in power over time, the same can happen with the more negative energy. That energy um, creates a certain tension and it can result in manifestations like objects breaking or objects flying across. And I've seen things fly across the room and, and it's, it's interesting that does prove that there is something going on. Um, again, is that entirely due to a supernatural reason? Um, you know, it could be any number of combination of things that are happening. But typically, when you get uh, object movement or object breakage, um, I would say that it's more likely due to this build-up of energy. Some of it is real-world events as well. So very often, people interpret things that are happening as supernatural, but in fact, they have a, you know, quite a normal explanation to them. So that's with the property. What can you do about properties? One thing is to actually get the property cleared. Um, the way that you typically do that is you do physical clearing and you do energetic clearing as well. You would usually use elements to do that. So you basically work your way around the house with incense, with uh, water, with salt representing the element of. So we're using the elements to drive energy around a property and out of the property. So you would start at the bottom left-hand corner of the front door, work your way around the building, visiting all the corners, you end up at the right-hand side of the front door and you're driving that energy out. So that, that works quite well to actually get rid of a lot of static energy that's actually in the property. Now, the other issue over and above that is the presence of spirits that may be causing an issue for whatever reason. And there are numerous, numerous ways that, that can occur. So one is that it may be human ghosts who are resident in the property, who are confused about where they are. Um, They're actually in the spiritual aspect of the middle world. They would lose sentience over time anyway, so they get more and more confused and they can have an effect. Uh, there may also be other types of spirits. So you may have local spirits of the land, for instance, um, especially if it's a rural property who may well not understand the presence of people on structures, especially new ones. And you often get the situation where people sometimes ask me to clear spirits for a property and I have to explain to them that that's actually not the right thing to do because those spirits are resident there. Um, if they're not malignant, then you shouldn't try and remove them, but you have to figure out how you come more into relationship with them. So as you can see, this is a very complex question. It involves lots of real world things and more supernatural things and different ways of approaching it from working with physical clearing and energetic clearing to doing work with the spirits and that work can vary. So the best way to do this, if you've got a property that's suffering that sort of thing is, is get somebody to come in and do this work for you and, and you'll find people advertising that sort of service. Um, if, if you can't, I can maybe recommend some people uh, in Florida to you. Um, and I can also send you some guidelines on actually how to do that kind of work as well if you want to have a go at it yourself. So that's, that's the property piece. As far as the aliens are concerned, and this is a fascinating, huge subject that we haven't got time to explore, unfortunately, um, there are two schools of thought about the greys. One is that they are um, similar to the other aliens, the other is they're engineered beings. So their appearance, metallic, um, you've seen this theory that uh, it says that they've been engineered so they can withstand um, space flight and, and they're artificial in some sense. Um, I, I think there's some credence in that theory, actually, and that does make some sense. 
Um, the other is, though, that they are spiritual beings uh, rather than real world entities. And so, which is true or is both true? I was at a workshop once where Michael Hana, who's the very famous for you know his book Way of the Shaman, was asked the question, "What are aliens?" And he thought about it for a very long time, uh, and then said, "I believe that they're middle world entities." And that was a very interesting answer, very very well phrased, um, and it does leave open the possibility that they are middle world entities in terms of being physical beings and or they are middle world beings in terms of being spiritual and existing in the spiritual aspect of the middle world. Um, again, it's one of these areas where it's very difficult to know what the truth is. It's a fascinating topic. Um, I look forward to seeing what's going to happen in the future with this because as you can see, there are more and more announcements coming out from official sources about UFOs, um, about alien presence. and. One interpretation is that the population is being set up for a more general announcement about that over time. Um, so it's an interesting um, um, sort of topic and one that I watch as well. So I was interested to see that you uh, cover that on your uh, on your show. Yes, it definitely. Uh, I, I've had some UFO stuff many times, seeing weird stuff in the sky. I don't know if I've ever been taken by anything, but I've seen weird stuff. And I've had friends say, they look, Jeffrey, they're here because of you. I don't know if that was true or not, but I've definitely seen some, some weird UFO stuff. And, yeah, lately the subject is all over the news. And uh, I've interviewed people from Stanton Friedman, nuclear physicist, to Nick Pope. Uh, one of the ones I, I, I tell a lot of people about is uh, Captain Robert Salas, who was on that he, he's still enlisted in the Air Force, and he wrote a book about UFOs shutting down the missile silos at a yeah. base. So it's definitely a, a crazy subject right now. And if you keep up with all of it, it's like a weird sci-fi horror movie. <laughs> but it's fun, especially when you've been doing it this long. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Those, those grades are definitely uh, creepy. One of my... Uh, bigger experiences that I had and I saw these with a friend were some small little cloaked beings in the woods standing around a black box and I said jokingly said Jawas but they weren't that fat they were slender and small and they was a there was a black box and during that time I had read books about the Celtic other world and fairies and things like that so maybe they were something like that a cat jumped towards them and they vanished and me and a friend saw them and we were both like do you see that yeah do you see that we both saw it and a cat jumped towards them a black cat and they vanished and I know you get into fairies and stuff and the only reason I think they could have been well, some people think fairies may be aliens too. Like there's weird connections with that. But what's some of the stuff you get into with uh, fairies in your book? Yeah, so there's a lot of theories about um, fairies as well in terms of what they are. Um, everything from supernatural beings to um, human creatures that have retreated into the underworld and appear occasionally. So there, there's about 15 different sort of uh, mainstream theories of, of the nature of fairies. I think they're interesting. They clearly have a very close association with nature, and nature is very important in, in shamanism and in most spiritual work. Uh, we do different types of work with fairies. Um, some of it is um, sort of trying to develop relationships with fairy helping spirits, which is quite interesting. And certain people have an affinity with that and resonate very strongly with them and are very drawn to that work. 
there are some things you have to be a bit careful about with fairies though some of the common wisdom again is that um you sh you can never break a promise with a fairy so you have to be very careful what you promise them uh that's probably true of all spirits actually but more so with fairies so some people inadvertently get on their wrong side and this is very easy to do it's very easy to uh break taboos or do things that you don't understand are actually going to be frowned upon by the spirits um and, and that can have some unintended consequences but they are interesting to work with uh the work that uh, i've done with them is mainly to do with nature we have done some work with them that is more to do with horses and we touch on that a bit in the book so they obviously have a lot of knowledge about horses some of the mythology about fairies relates to people working with them for crop or livestock rituals. So the idea is that you're um, doing work with the fairies to increase the sort of uh, yield of the crop, or indeed you're looking to increase the fertility or the um, stamina of a herd by introducing a fairy animal into a real herd. So that's quite interesting. Um, sometimes if you're in the forest, you, and you, I don't know if you've seen this or not, Jeffrey, um, you occasionally see animals that have red eyes, and that's a sure sign that that animal, one, is not a normal physical animal, uh, and two, it may well be a fake creature, because the fairy animals uh, are, are often have uh, red eyes and often red fur as well, so a fairy bull may well have that appearance, for instance. Yeah, it's definitely a fascinating subject. And I've seen the pictures and some video of people that have claimed they're real images. Some of them are pretty interesting. And then there's orbs and stuff. Maybe that's them. I, I don't know. But there's different theories to that as well. And uh, have you ever seen the, the, the artist Brian Froud that does all the fairy art and stuff? You know, Dark Crystal. Those are the yeah. fairies I like. That seems kind of... Like that could be accurate almost. Like it's so weird and strange. Like the, the, the dark crystal. That's one of the things that's quite interesting, the way that a lot of things from mythology or from different spiritual traditions are finding their way into modern media. And whether that's films or television or games, uh, you see a lot of these things actually coming through in, in art forms of, of one type or another, which is quite an interesting development. Yeah, I know that guy has some oracle cards and books and stuff. Those are pretty, pretty, pretty beautiful uh, art for sure. Uh, Christina, did you have a particular question you'd like to ask? Um, well, it's pretty interesting. He was uh, talking about having, I'm also into embracing roots more and more, learning why I do things maybe the way I do it, trying to find healing for the, hopefully myself and future generations and, uh, you said something about the wolf and the eagle and the owl and it's it's pretty interesting to just to see again how many different different cultures and different religions and all different things have very similar parallels again where um just pretty much even jeffrey uh was telling stories about the house and just kind of seeing different things that makes me feel i i feel a fear but it's mostly like in the human brain more like trying to understand what what is it that's going on especially scientifically trying to understand but also being very open-minded and uh spiritually open um to learning that basically like the glass for example that blew up uh I had just been focusing my energy on that glass and specifically was washing dishes in the, in the kitchen 
and I, I had gave grandma and mom their fruit cocktail in the same glass, similar glass, and literally was looking at it and thinking, I hope that isn't getting too hot and I'm not going to be able to have it. And it goes, <laughs> so it's like, he always says no one was in there. It's like, I was, but it was crazy. Like, I don't know what happened. And literally no one got hurt, thankfully, but there was glass everywhere. And uh, I remember thinking that was odd, but I've had uh, other similar times in my life where I've had uh high energy let's just say maybe getting angry and upset in my mind and glass blowing up bulbs blowing or whatnot so just trying to learn i guess how much that we maybe have effect on what's around us our energy for sure and how that feeds into it and i think you said something um maybe we've been always doing maybe wrong we need to change our our way we're doing it is you know saging going around a house and trying to kind of get it to go away maybe that's my pentecostal roots to kind of be like let's get these things out of here but how that maybe could actually create more uh hostility how it could cause a fight instead of actually yes i really do want to learn how to work with the spirit guides that are, are there like being said, I've never seen greys. I've felt and seen things my whole life and been very scared of the church, um, the medical world, so on, you know, locking me up, giving me meds and uh, saying I'm crazy. But I've, I've been praying for someone like you actually to come along and somehow help me to feel like I'm not crazy and to be able to learn to use all of these years of experience as a nurse and seeing and feeling all of these things still going on even we are no longer in the house he was talking about where there was a lot of weird stuff going on but i think it did have to do with we were in a 55 and older community um there was a lot of people passing away there frequently and yes uh, a labor and delivery nurse typically so bringing life into the world and i was taking care of grandma who did have dementia and she progressed pretty quickly and um mother my mother has a lot of mental health issues and um she was having a lot of horrific dreams or it sounded like she was being like ripped to pieces by literally something in her sleep all the time like very scary there was abuse and weirdness going on there in the past as well trauma and so on even with somebody across the water if that makes sense our neighbor was an uncle where there's weird there's a weird history there between him and my mother and I think there was a lot of things just linked to all of that, if that makes sense. Almost kind of poltergeisty, scary, weird things, but all based on negative energy. And even when grandma passed in July, right after that literally is when, when we had, I had a nightmare. I literally could see my grandma, we were doing her postmortem care, that last little bit of seeing her. And I rolled her over in my dream and basically something hit the bed right then and woke us up. And it was one of those, like, you know, I felt afraid. And now I'm feeling almost like grandma was doing that, as weird as it is, almost trying to tell me, don't you think of that right now, right before you're going to sleep? And she wants us to think about positive things or something, if that makes sense. So after getting out of that house and being able to get away from, yes, sadly, abuse and wildness, childhood trauma being triggered, um, somehow he and I being able to leave that negativity there or whatever that is, even from my, our past, both of us, he and I both have gone through horrific trauma as children and so on to basically try to use our gifts. If there's a way that we can be shaman 
to help other people through all of the hell literally we've gone through on earth and uh i don't know like i'm starting to finally be like i'm not scared of any of this <laughs> like usually when i see owls i'm in the graveyard i love graveyards but i feel like home there if that makes sense and i go in there and yeah like i've seen so many owls fly right over my head in the daytime you know and my dogs actually are right right in front of me the little ones and almost kind of telling me yeah we could eat them but we're not going to, I don't know how to explain it. I'm like, why are you out in the daytime, first of all? But it's almost like we're watching your back and we're here to help you. And I kind of just feel like there's an eagle and an owl link, you know, and I'm a night nurse primarily, the weirdo night nerd. So I feel always kind of this walk between worlds. I've had two losses as babies um, in utero. Weirdly, you brought up the owl. So I'm like, okay, um, I'm in the graveyard. And yeah, um, I've had two fetal losses. So I feel like, yes, I've always literally between like one foot literally in death and one foot in this world. And somehow we're, we're always in heaven. If our, if our spirit is connected to our, our inner child, if that makes sense. And literally moving out to Florida from Washington state, I went through new Orleans and I think did my shadow work literally like my suppressed child was hiding in the catacombs of <laughs> new Orleans. And, uh, basically I brought that home with me. I thought it was something demonic or bad. And I, I went to fight it at the house and it, it actually hugged me and it felt like a little child of myself. And I hugged it and I felt this weird completeness that I'm like, okay, I don't know how to explain it. That was good. But um, just all these things happening for a reason, basically is how I feel. I want to say it's scary because yeah, it logically doesn't make any sense, but uh, honestly believe everything happens for reasons synchronicity is the word right uh and basically even getting to meet you and talk about all of this learn to use the totem that's like totally yes the wolf and even the berserker we talk about all the time those are like parts of us being able to to embrace that um that animal spirit basically almost like they do help us and that's that's in our native roots as well and just basically trying to learn how to see it as not scary and not having to uh, fight so hard. I think I've wasted too much of my life. I'm almost 40 and I'm like, I'm exhausted because I've been fighting my whole life trying to run from being locked up and um, basically put on meds. And I'm not the typical nurse. I'm all about like, yes, let's figure out how to fix this, like how to heal the root, not just throw more meds at it or whatever. And dealing with literally for the first in my life, even recent, my own issues with depression and sadly thoughts of suicide after all the years of that's my mission to help other people not get to that point, not to become hopeless and no joke being in the graveyard again. And I, I swear I saw something look, looks like Anubis legs or something. Exactly. I picture like Anubis legs. It was not normal. And I was like, okay, I'm not doing it. I don't know what's waiting for me over here, but I'm not ready to go yet. And definitely again, give me that mission to say, how can I help people? There is something that seems dark in this world, and I don't know how to explain it. How do we not add to that darkness? How do we not allow it to uh, take away our gifts, basically? I think that we're supposed to use to help others. Uh, yeah, so that, there's some wonderful insights there, Christina. And, and it's really good that your, your sort of instinctive thought is, how can I actually help other people? Um, and it's so nice to hear people say that. that that's really good. Um, let me try and sort of pick a few of the things that you were talking about because there's, there's some really interesting stuff in that. Um, this not being afraid of things is really important. And a lot of people uh, get spooked by 
anything that is to do with spirit, to do with the supernatural, anything that goes against very ingrained teaching that they have from their culture, from their church, from their family. And it's important to be open to explore this stuff. Um, some of it may resonate with you, may be right for you, some of it won't, but it will be right for other people. It's important not to feel sort of that fear um, to try and overcome that. The issue with mental illness is, is one that I sort of have some sympathy with. Um, a, a lot of the symptoms that people have when they experience um, certain forms of spiritual calling is very close to you know, what people would, would call mental illness. So it's something that I'm quite familiar with. At one stage in my life, uh, I felt that, that I was going mad. Actually. Um, and you realize that, no, actually, it's not. It's something else that's happening. And it's not something that in all people should be medicated. Um, but I'm not at all suggesting that medication doesn't have a role to play, obviously. Um, and one of the things we're very keen to do is not to uh, recommend anything that goes against conventional medicine. So from a shamanic healing point of view, we must always make that, that clear distinction. Um, as a nurse, you're obviously aware that very interesting things happen in hospitals and uh, um, certain yeah. beds in hospitals uh, have a higher incidence of relapse rate or indeed of mortality. And you know, a lot of nurses are very familiar with that. And there are some odd things that happen in hospitals purely because of the nature of what's happening. So you've got a lot of trauma, you've got a lot of people who are dying, often in unexpected ways, and that creates um, certain energetic disturbances that sort of leads to this confusion, if you like, in energy around hospitals and higher incidence of certain types of, of things. Um, so it, it's an interesting place to try and work. And uh, you know, um, congratulations for actually doing that work. That must be very interesting and uh, empowering for you. Um, the situation you described where you embraced a child and you thought that you were perhaps dealing with a shadow element, that actually may have been a soul retrieval that you were inadvertently doing on yourself because where you suffer soul loss and um, where people go and retrieve those soul parts for you, they often present themselves as younger versions of the person. Um, Often when I hear that people are experiencing things where they're meeting younger versions of themselves in dream uh, or in vision or in shamanic journey or meditation and they're merging with that thing that may very well relate to um, a sort of soul retrieval that is happening inadvertently or that you're somehow triggering without being conscious that it's that that's actually going on. So that there's a whole bunch of really interesting stuff that you had, and I, I want to just, just try and sort of uh, pull out some of the highlights. The other interesting thing you spoke about, Christina, was, was ancestry, and it has a huge impact on us. And we're all admixed, so the three of us on this call have interesting roots. You know, uh, Jeffrey and I are both Celtic. Uh, I have Viking ancestry as well. Uh, and we inherit things from all of those ancestors, um, both positive and negative. And one of the interesting things to do is to try and work with the ancestors who can help us. And when we work with ancestral spirits, some of them are helping spirits, some of them are not. Some of them are hanging around as ghosts, so we don't want to work with them. Um, but we can do work with the ancestors. We can heal them. And the fascinating thing about ancestral healing is that if you do healing on a family line, you're healing the past, the present, and the future at the same time. So it's very, very powerful work, potentially. Now, it does create an interesting issue, though. Um, one of the things that I often talk about is 
the ethics of any form of uh, healing work and we have to be very careful that what we're doing uh, is correct and that we have permission to do it and that the recipients of the healing understand uh, you know the work and potential impact it can have on them when we do work like ancestral healing that we know is going to affect many descendants we cannot possibly obtain permission from them so in doing that work we are intentionally engaging almost in sorcery because you know we are doing something that we know is slightly gray in terms of its ethical impact but we're weighing that against the greater good of working with first of all the person typically a client that has asked us for ancestral healing um, that often involves healing ancestors who are stuck in the middle world's ghosts and healing them as well. So we're trying to walk this fine line between what is the right way to proceed in this particular situation. And sometimes that is not entirely clear. And as long as we're aware and just trying to use our best intention to do what we think is correct or intuitively feel is correct in a particular situation, I think that's maybe the best that we can do. So good, 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 good luck with whatever path you try and follow. And I would encourage you, yeah, try a few things and see what resonates with you. And don't be too hung up on one thing. If it doesn't work, try something else. Uh, don't do too many things, but by all means, good luck with what you're going to do. Now. Sorry, Jeffrey. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I know Christina wanted to ask about uh, psychopomps, and uh, that's a word that we were uh, coming across a lot lately. I had heard the word, but it's like my memory forgets quite easily but we were interested what can you tell us about that psychopomp sure. that, am i saying a, it right psychopomp? yeah no you're saying it right psychopomp indeed yeah so that's a fascinating another huge topic in its own right um psychopomp is from the greek so psycho spirit pomp to conduct so guide um and it's one of the things that's a little unusual about shamanism where we work to heal the dead as well as the living you know, to be fair you can do that with other modalities as well but it's one of the things that make shamanic healing slightly different um what is going on here is that um sometimes when humans die they um are dying in a state of, of shock it's typically accidents or traumatic events um they don't have time to prepare for death properly and uh, they're confused about what's happened and they inadvertently become stuck in the spiritual aspect of the middle world rather than going to where they should go which is the, the upper world or the lower world essentially uh, heaven uh, think of it if you like so those spirits wander around in the middle world they have a negative impact on the living if you come into contact with them and over time they tend to lose sentience and become more confused and so they're essentially stuck and that's not good it's not good for them it's not good for us so psychopomp is uh, concerned with locating those spirits, um, convincing them that um, they are um, sort of somewhere they shouldn't be, um, that you can help them, you can take them to a better place, you have to get permission from them to heal them. So this is that ethical dimension coming in again. You can't just take them, that would be wrong in some sense, even though you may feel it's in their best interest. We always try and get their permission to actually heal them uh, and if they give that then we will actually take them where they're supposed to go and hand them over to uh, whoever's waiting for them so there's always somebody waiting to take them over and depending on your own worldview or the um, spirit that you are you're healing through the psychopomp 
that imagery may change. So sometimes it is quite religious imagery where you are literally seeing uh, angelic figures, you are seeing things that you would associate with the uh, biblical view of heaven. And sometimes it's entirely different. You know, if you're going to the lower world, you may see things that are uh, more fairy or more power animal uh, related. Uh, it's different each time, but it's very beautiful work, and it's it's um, something that some people are very strongly drawn to 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 do. Um, one of the favourite topics of people I teach actually, so people really do resonate with that work. The interesting thing about psychopomp is, other than humans, we can also psychopomp other types of spirit. So, um, for instance, uh, animals, or indeed plants or indeed minerals. Um, so all of those things have spirits and a sentient in an animistic worldview and shamanism is animistic. Um, so from that point of view, it's very broad and we do some very interesting work with um, psychopomping whales, for instance, um, whale spirits that are stuck in the middle world that haven't transitioned to where they're supposed to go. Uh, I work with birds a lot when I'm doing that type of work and I do that work on the a fairly regular basis um, to sort of move birds who are stuck in the middle world to where they should go as well. So all of that energy, whatever its nature and whatever species it, it is, is just adding to this general overhang of energy in the middle world that affects us. It affects us in many ways um, through creating this energetic imbalance. It, uh, you pick this stuff up in dreams or in, in, in other work you're doing. Some people are very sensitive to it and it just affects them uh, again uh, more than others. So by doing this work, we're not only helping the spirits that, that are suffering, that are concerned, but we're also working to try and reduce this overhang of energy that affects everybody else in addition. So it's very powerful work, very beautiful work to do and uh, something that I spend a lot of time um, working on with, with people that I've taught and with colleagues that I work with. And uh, I know you mentioned shadow work before, and I'm just kind of curious, what are some of the things you do that induce that work? Uh, I, I mean, we all have obviously a dark side. I've struggled with being a Capricorn. Like they try to say the tarot of the devil was the Capricorn, which not everybody believes that. But I'm like, that's come on, man. That's a bad rap. And then, of course, I'm Pan, which they stole a lot of the devil from. So, but uh, what are some things that you could tell us about that more for people, you know, that need, if more people did shadow work, they probably wouldn't be, you know, serial killers in prison, right? <laughs> you know? yeah. Indeed. Creative, so, 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 be more creative instead of, you know, letting go to it, surrendering to it. Sure. So let's, let's briefly sort of go over why shadow work is necessary and, and how to do it. And um, there are some people that uh, are, are very good authorities on this. So if people are really interested in shadow work, I could recommend uh, Christina Pratt, uh, who does the Why Shamanism Now podcast. And she is a an authority in this area and, and uh, I could, could recommend her uh, for, for that and other topics to be honest. So shadow essentially is where we are repressing aspects of ourselves and uh, it's a well-known psychotherapeutic problem as well and what is happening is that um, people outside of yourself uh, whether it's your family, your church, your community, or your work colleagues are impressing on you that a certain type of behavior that you have is not acceptable in that context and so what you then do is you suppress that in yourself uh, in order to fit in to win approval to gain love uh, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish uh, 
Now, that's sort of okay in terms of that immediate setting, but what that does is it creates a dynamic tension within you because those pieces are sort of um, bottled up and, and, and those parts don't want to be, they want to be free, they want to be reintegrated fully with you. Um, you suffer because you're not expressing those aspects of yourself, so you're missing out on things that you should be doing. So some of the things that, that very typically happen is in girls that they are taught that they shouldn't uh, uh, express themselves, that they should not exhibit power, that they shouldn't be leaders in the world. And so that gets repressed and that stops them doing certain things with their lives, which is very unfortunate. So um, the other in men, it's things like creativity. So, you know, you're a man, you shouldn't be drawing art things or doing other types of things that are not manly. And again, this is, you know, an unfortunate sort of overhang of different types of thinking about what men and women are in the world and what they should be. So that's how it gets created. You have this, this tension. Now, how do you work with those things? So typically what you're doing is you are, um, working with them by either journeying to them or working with them in dream or in meditation or in guided visualization so a number of ways you can do it and you are trying to um sort of get more acquainted with the pieces you've suppressed to befriend them to come into relationship with them and to persuade them to actually come more fully into your consciousness and be part of you and you're sort of saying to them that you are going to express them fully in the world. And the ways that typically people do that is you are expressing them and you're expressing them publicly as well. So a, a lot of people do this with uh, mask work or dance. That's one of the things that Christina teaches. Uh, I also use other creative forms where people are drawing paintings. Perhaps you're drawing a painting of uh, the shadow part that's repressed as it is and as it may be in the future um, you would then sort of have that to represent the parts and when you fully integrate it you uh, get rid of the before and you keep the after more positive impression uh, or indeed you can write stories or poetry about what you feel about the part to express its nature and to encourage it to be with you so that that's a very quick overview of a very again a very complex topic uh, you can also approach shadow work, obviously, through psychotherapy, and that, that, that's, that's, let's be clear. Um, the advantage of doing this shamanically and to doing it from a more um, demonstrative and intuitive perspective is that you tend to be able to do the work more quickly. So that seems to be the conventional wisdom for, for that piece. And I know right now with the way things are going, there's a lot of, we think we may have, you know, empath situations uh, i don't know a lot about it christina's more into that than i am but we think you know we may we may be you know i guess everyone is maybe on some level or i don't know but we're feeling this stuff the stuff that's going on with you know ukraine and all that craziness like like the russia dude just threatened to nuke ireland that's scary like the, and then the COVID alone now it's monkeypox which i saw some pictures of that stuff and i'm like my god this feels like a horror movie and uh you know we're feeling that stuff and uh you have to shield yourself from it on some level and i, I mean there's different ways to do it i know the sun thing helps me a lot there's something 
we had a guy on Micah Dank that got into like uh, astrology and the sun being Christ and the walk of the planets and like the Jordan Maxwell kind of situation. And he showed a lot of uh, pictures of like Jesus and different people from the Bible and the sun was always there. So, I mean, to a lot of them, the sun is God or, you know, I know the watchtower that Jehovah's witness book like i ran them off talking about ufos and bigfoot but they left me that little book and it they had they had the sun in it and it was a dude in the throne so i'm like so the sun's like a dude like a god in a throne there's something to the sun but when we do these shows i want to help the earth and i think just doing these kind of shows does on some level and way it raises consciousness that's why i like this subject that's why when i went through testicular cancer at 17 and lost one in the war woke up from surgery and said we took one and i cried and then had to go through chemo i came across shamanism and i'd been raised christian all my life but shamanism answered things that that couldn't all the time and i just like to do these shows because i think it does help but i mean as far as the way the earth's going right now and the way humanity treats it and lately we've come across a lot of stuff with how humanity's treating animals uh and, and signing those things where you write congress and you know try to help like there i had a little dog named jack that i had a very long time and he passed away and it affected me because i was with him all the time he was a, a beagle uh a mix and i was with him in the woods for years a hermit and i lost him and i called him my dog son and when he first started to get sick i held him and i was crying and I, we saw, we had another dog that passed away here, a white dog, Savannah. It was like Alaskans. It was my mom's, one of those big Alaskan white, big jokers, but it passed. But we saw a light in the sky that night that was weird. And then Jack stayed a little longer and then he finally passed. But there was some weird story about dogs similar to Jack being tested in labs, like crazy sick stuff. And like they're doing these tests on these poor dogs and making them drink poison. But we, we do the stuff to write Congress. I don't know if that stuff helps or not. But I would get so mad and feel the dark side that I prank called those places. And that's probably not the best thing to do, but I was rude to them, pranking them. And uh, that was me trying to express, you know, my dark side in a funny way, even though I was upset. But I mean, with the earth and everything and raising consciousness, what can you tell us about? I know you talk about earth work. I guess I want to get some props of, for the earth through you. <laughs> yeah. So um, there is obviously a lot of negative stuff happening and it does affect everybody. Um, that's happened throughout history. So don't forget our ancestors put up with stuff that was far worse than us in terms of infant mortality. Uh, the diseases that they faced, um, you know, the, the wars, uh, you know, so things weren't always great uh, uh, in the past either. Things are bad now because they are potentially so dangerous and obviously, you know, threatening to use nuclear weapons is, is about as bad as it gets and, and that stuff is, is nuts and, you know, you hope that uh, sane people would prevent that from actually happening in practice, which uh, seems to be the case. Um, what i would say is first of all it's important not to let it affect you and the word you use was shielding jeffrey and i agree that it's important to try and shield yourself from this so the more that you stand in your own power that you don't let this affect you the more then you're able to help to sort of try and as you say raise consciousness or 
create this general sense that other people can then draw strength from. You know, we're trying to uh, all the time uh, work towards you know what's known as ascension. Um, this idea of raising consciousness, raising the energy of the planet, and hopefully a lot of this stuff then will improve. Some of the things that are happening are due to um, economic sort of cycles and economic situations and the impact that's going to have. So as resources run out, as food gets scarce, as climate change hits us, a lot of other stuff is going to get more difficult. And it's important to try and think about how we should position ourselves to react to that, um, how we work more with our local communities, um, how we engage with individuals to try and creatively help others uh, in this situation and maybe rethink the way that we live our lives to some extent as well. So um, uh, one of the things I do and some of my friends do is try to think, um, what can we change, you know, um, and, and not just avoiding things like plastic, but what else can we do to try and, you know, um, purchase food that's locally produced, locally sourced, um, food that is maybe better for you as well in terms of, you know, uh, organics, etc. So there's a number of things that we can do to position ourselves relative to things that are happening in the world and recognize that there are things that we don't have any direct control over. Um, and no matter how much you lobby Congress, it's probably not going to do that much good directly. So the thing to do is then to focus on what can I do that's going to make a difference. Uh, and then sort of try and help other people who are better positioned to do other types of work and collectively try and move it forward. One of the things I, I personally would like to see is more female representation at the high level in some of these power structures. So if you look at countries like New Zealand, Finland, Sweden, they're, they're some of the most forward-looking, prosperous uh, countries that have a high level, high standard of living, uh, general satisfaction, and they're all run by female leaders. So it's an interesting coincidence. But I personally would like to see more female feminine thinking into some of the decision making. And that's one way we avoid things like uh, wars and we avoid things like potential use of nuclear weapons, which would be disastrous for us all. And I know the divine feminine is one of the things that you talk about a lot, is empowering women with that and the divine feminine. Indeed, yeah. So um, in the sort of work that I do, you find that there's a distinction between uh, males and females in terms of their ability to do shamanic work and to do shamanic journeying and other things that are very highly visionary and highly intuitive. And the simple truth is that the girls are better at it than the boys. Uh, they're more right-brained, they're more intuitive, they have this more latent ability to do this stuff at, at a higher level. I tend to find that most of my students are female and uh, I, I also quite like actually working with them to try and get them to be more empowered in the world in general and I also do that in the professional environment uh, in my past career uh, as well as do that shamanically so it's something that's been a theme if you like it's one of my missions I think um, I had a mission from the church to help the poor so those two things are things that I focus on so Working with the poor, working with female empowerment are the two things that I think are the key motifs for the spiritual work that I try and do. And when it comes to men, you can 
I mean, we deal with that energy too, and we can integrate it in our life without getting too weird. You don't have to go Eddie Izzard or anything, you know. Oh, that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw a poster of a new movie he's doing, and I've seen him in different stuff. I know he's a stand-up comedian, and uh, he was in that Hannibal show, which is really weird. And of course, Hannibal ate him. But anyway, he uh, <laughs> he, he was doing a Jekyll and Hyde movie, and I'm like, okay, he's a good actor, you know, cool. I might check that out. But in it. He's a chick in a dress. Well, we're not going to get into that too heavily, but uh, what can men do to get into that energy without? And I know there's stuff with native stuff where they dress up with women and walk backwards and stuff. But a lot of us men don't want to do that. You know, if you do, it's OK. I guess I'm not going to judge, but I'm just curious from your point of view. What are ways that men can bring that? There's peace to it. And I agree. You know, yeah, men indeed. are brutal. I mean, yeah. war. Apocalypse. So, there's a long history in um, tribal cultures of, first of all, women being involved as shamans or medicine women or whatever term we want to use. Uh, it varies across cultures. Um, there's also a lot of uh, anecdotal evidence, and, and in the academic literature, you can see there's reference to uh, different gender expressions, different uh, sexuality uh, expression, and indeed. Uh, male practitioners sort of dressing and living as women and indeed marrying men. So so this stuff is, and transvestitism sort of goes with this space, if you like. So that that's that's normal in terms of, uh, you know, more older tribal uh, shamanic societies. Um, I, I just want to sort of, first of all, say about men that um, obviously I, I do work with men, but the men I work with tend to be not normal men. So they tend to be um, healers, um, teachers, or warriors of, of one sort or another, or they're, they're very high-level sports people. Is 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 the other people that I, I I sort of tend to see. So they're not they're not normal. They're, there's they they are sort of working in a space that is not the normal expression of masculinity that you associate with what you see, you know, day to day. Um, I think one of the um, shames of this is that that men can't sort of feel that they can express themselves and get in touch with their feminine side and that is very important and, and there is nothing negative about that it, there's there's wonderful benefits from uh men being in touch with their feminine aspects uh, and being more real men in the world so there's there's nothing contradictory in this at all um so i have no issue with that i have no issue with uh understanding exploring my feminine side and recognizing you have this duality within you and you have to work with the spectrum of all the parts of your nature, otherwise you can't fully express yourself. You're not gonna be able to uh, help the range of people that you should. With men, uh, they get a lot of conditioning from society, from their families, um, from schools, uh, that men behave in a certain way. Um, and that is one of the things that it would be nice if we could change and we could allow men to uh, express a different range of emotions, of feelings, of uh, expressions uh, of what maleness is in the world, um, and that they could actually fulfill, you know, uh, their their true role rather than some of the roles they get pigeonholed in at the moment, which is is unfortunate and doesn't help. Doesn't help collectively. And I just want to say that it's amazing that Christina hasn't dropped. Uh, we were just, she's in the RV and earlier it was dropping all the time. We said a prayer 
for it not to drop so far so good hopefully that doesn't mess right, things up he's saying are, it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and uh it's the first time we were doing it from the rv and you have to get used to the signal and all that stuff but so far so good maybe it stays better when you're actually uh doing the show instead of no one just inactive or something i don't know but uh i know uh when it comes to shamanism i grew up with certain ones michael harner was one but his books uh was it i always have trouble saying his name and i've interviewed him jose stevens jose stevens yes uh, he's been on serge kahali king uh huna uh the hawaiian way and uh i've had ruez jr don ruez jr uh and those are books i came across and for me the only way to get that kind of fix was through a book. I was in Georgia. I didn't know there's any shamans around. Sure, they may have been, but uh, the books were the way to do it. But I'm just kind of curious who were some of the ones that you first got introduced with? And I know Michael, he's passed. Uh, I had that Cave and Cosmos book, I know, and it's his first book. And uh, I'm just curious, maybe we can give them some, uh, some uh, respect uh, that we grew up with. Who were some of the ones that you grew up with? Sure. So very similar to you, obviously, I read Where the Shaman, which was Michael Hahn's book, and, and that broke a lot of things loose uh, for modern people, you know, looking at shamanism. So the anthropologists, obviously, who'd been in contact with tribal people who weren't aware of, of this stuff and, and you know, people who, who really specialized in the area always knew this was going on. I think Hana helped to bring a lot of this more to the public consciousness and there were other people writing at the same time. Um, obviously, Castaneda was one. Uh, Castaneda is slightly under a cloud to some extent at the moment, but but you know did sort of raise this topic in the consciousness, and people were interested in knowing what's going on in with that. Maybe we need to look at uh, you know that some of that stuff as well. So I think yes, um, I would definitely say Hana. Um, obviously, you've got some very good teachers in the U.S. Uh, especially as well, and then people working there. So apart from the individuals you mentioned. Uh, Alberto Villaldo, who's uh, head of the Four Winds Society. Um, so the Four Winds with the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, the Society for Shamanic Practitioners are probably the main groups. And if people are interested in, in stepping into the topic, I would say go and look at their websites and they always advertise uh, people that they recommend as teachers in particular areas. And so whatever state you're in, you're going to find a bunch of people that, that will be recommended on those sites who are people that have undertaken their training um, that have been initiated in uh, shamanic work so they're able to teach properly and uh, that's a good source other than that you can also go to some of the individual teachers so uh, people like sandra ingman very well known obviously um, she also lists teachers people that she's trained on on her site uh, Betsy Bergstrom, um, one of my favorite teachers, actually wonderful uh, teacher. Uh, Christina Pratt, I mentioned earlier. And, and what I would say is explore online uh, in your area and, and you'll, you'll certainly find resources there. And increasingly, you're also seeing more online workshops and online training. Now, that doesn't uh, completely um, displace uh, the need for being in contact with human teachers. And of course, most of the teaching is actually done by spirits anyway. Um, but the online training is useful. It's that's an easy way for people to become acquainted with not just shamanism, but other subjects as well. 
um, and then find out what sort of spiritual path you know, uh, appeals to them, calls to them, that then they can step into. Definitely. And it's interesting how we grow up, you know, with these books and learn from it. And for you personally, when you first started, or did you come across other shamans in your area or was it through books at first? So I, I live in Hong Kong and in Hong Kong, we don't have too many shamans, although there, there are shamanic traditions in the Chinese culture, in, in the Taoist religion in particular, and also in Buddhism, um, to be honest. Um, so no, I didn't directly have it. I, I, I flew to California to do training initially with the foundation. I spent a lot of time in North America. I spent some time in South America, in different parts of Asia, different parts of Europe, in Australia and New Zealand. So, so I've traveled a lot meeting um, local um, practitioners, whether they're shamans or they're called something else, understanding how they work, seeing the different ways things are done across cultures. And of course, what Harmer did was to abstract the um, cultural specific things into a transversal set of rituals, uh, which he, he called core shamanism. Um, and that's useful because then if you're doing that, you're, you, you're not really guilty of cultural appropriation because they're things that are generally widely used. Um, appropriation of things, trying to do a, uh, a pipe ceremony if you're not a pipe carrier, you know, would just be incorrect to do. Um, maybe taking ayahuasca outside of its proper context in South America, possibly not recommended because there's a lot involved with that. And people literally are working in a tradition that they are, uh, and it's part of their ancestry. They're training all their lives to do that work. They're working with a group of spirits and people that are dabbling in that don't always appreciate the depth of some of the stuff that's going on there, perhaps. Definitely. And I know you talk about sh uh, shamanic tools. And I remember reading in Michael Horner's book, he would talk about drumming and they would talk about these experiences. I was like, that's just from drumming and not psychedelics. Like some of them were pretty out there. Like they would travel to, you know, I'm just kind of curious, what are some of these tools? And do you think drumming is that powerful? I, I like drumming. I like a lot of the Norse stuff as, as well. That's, you know, drumming and stuff like that. But uh, what do you think, what are some of the tools and is drumming really that powerful? Sure. So a lot of those guys were in the 60s. So I'm sure there were some psychedelics going on as well. Um, but the, the simple answer is that no, you, you don't need to take any form of sort of a psychotropic drug to do this work. You can do it with what are called sonic drivers. And there is actually a sort of scientific basis for this. So when we are getting into an altered state of consciousness that allows us to experience spirit and, and travel to different realms and, and work with spirits, we are putting our sort of brain into a state that's known as theta. So this is very similar to the state you're in just before you fall asleep or just before or after you've woken up where you often see this very vivid imagery. I don't know if you experienced that. I, I very often see that. And if you focus on it, you can actually go into it. It's like going into a film and actually being within the film. So that's actually very similar to the journey state. Um, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to use certain frequencies to entrain our brains to go into this theta state that allows us then to experience that journey state or the, the same similar thing is happening with other ways of working as well you can also do it through posture work um, so uh, Felicitas Goodman was the the anthropologist that 
um, pioneered that, where if you put your body into a certain posture, you experience a particular state of consciousness that's unique to the posture, which is very interesting. So that's another way of doing it that doesn't involve sonic drivers. And apart from drumming, which is very powerful, um, then you can also use, uh, a lot of people use rattles, a lot of people will use chanting, which has got that repetitive element. So it's this doing things at a certain frequency again, that is very important. People will use singing, uh, dancing, and things like songs can also carry, carry power, carry healing energy. So combination of these things where you're working um, with different repetitive sonic sounds, you're working in low light, you're working in ceremonial context, you are expecting something to happen because you know that you're doing ritual work, the spirits are interested because they know what's going on. So you're, you're creating the right set and setting, as you would say, from a psychedelic experience in a ritual context and you're creating all the things that actually allow you to step into that altered state of consciousness so no you don't need the drugs to do it the drumming works very well and the drumming will work if you're experiencing live drumming or indeed if you're listening to that um, through an app or from some other online source but with the drumming the key thing to do is to listen to it through stereo headphones to try and be in a darkened room or to wear a blindfold of some sort, um, probably to lie down if you're sort of beginning this. Um, and it's very easy for most people then to um, have these types of experience. Most people would start to encounter visionary stuff when they do shamanic journeying. So vision is the primary sense for about 70% of the population. Some people, though, don't see things. They tend to feel it a bit more. Um, uh, but most people will have some sort of reaction to that. It's very rare not to be able to journey. And um, one of the main reasons is that people are actually blocking the experience. So you have this contradictory behavior where people want to do certain types of work, but they're also slightly nervous about it and they're not sure. And so they will actually block that from happening. Uh, and, and we see that a lot with certain types of work. And so we, one of the things to do is then to encourage people to fully step into things, to not be apprehensive or to be afraid of things. And in that way, then they can begin to experience uh, whatever it is that we're trying to get them to do. So um, shamanic journeying with drumming is probably the best entry point. And it's the most widely used across cultures. Journeying is not the only way of doing the work though. As I said, you can use postures. The other main type of work is spirit embodiment where people are voluntarily being possessed in quotes by spirits and so in cultures like mongolia uh, that is the way that work is done rather than journeying for sale though they're still using drums and they're using um, rattles and, and metal objects on their costumes to create this sonic landscape that also helps to uh, as i said put you into that altered state i know i remember in that horner book there was something some drumming story and it was just talking about journeying and things like that. And drumming is definitely interesting, but I mean, I've had some experiences with it, but for some reason, psychedelics seem to hit you a lot harder. And uh, I've done DMT and stuff like that. It's been a while. Uh, and I've had some interesting experiences on that. Uh, but as far as some of the other stuff that lasts a long time, I'm afraid to do that stuff now because of blood pressure stuff. And I'm older, 47 now. I'm not in my 20s anymore. <laughs> and some of that stuff will freak you out, man, <laughs> for sure. 
Uh, Christina, do you have anything else you want to ask uh, that you can think of? Just let me know. And uh, so far, so good. No, no drop carriers. So you yeah. must be tuning into the frequency. Exactly. So one of the other things we can maybe talk about is um, power, which is a, a very important topic. And a lot of people feel disempowered and obviously people lose their power in any number of ways. So they tend to give their power away to other people or power is taken from them. This happens a lot in the workplace, of course, where you know um, people are uh, disempowering others, draining power from them with some of the behavior that's going on. And this has a very bad effect on people, at least a sort of physical uh, illness, obviously, apart from anything else. Um, and obviously people are just depressed by experiencing that on a regular basis. So this is quite common that people are disempowered by uh, you know, uh, the workplace or, or, or other things they encounter on a regular basis in life. You can be disempowered by negative experiences that you have, by the stories that other people tell about you. So, you know, you're never going to be any good. You're never going to be able to do X, whatever it is. And, and that has an effect on people if they hear it, you know, uh, repeatedly, especially when that starts when you're very young. So, you know, children are often told that you're never going to be this, you're never going to be any good. Uh, and that is very highly disempowering and sets them up for problems later in life, as partly as a result of being disempowered. Um, you can also lose parts of your energy. So we spoke about soul loss earlier. Um, that is one big reason why power goes. So when you lose that soul part, you lose some of your energy, you lose some of your memories, you lose some of your abilities that typically are associated with that part as well. So that's why soul retrieval is a very powerful healing because you're bringing multiple different types of things back. And if you sort of are working in certain types of society or you go on holiday somewhere exotic, um, you can also inadvertently breach taboos in locations. So if you go on holiday to the Caribbean or Central America uh, and, and you do things that are frowned upon by the local population or the local spirits, then you can certainly experience power loss there, uh, often as a result of, of curse work and, and similar things. So a very large number of ways that power can be lost. And then that actually, it, it sort of, it means that you're more susceptible to lose more power over time. You're at the mercy of people who want to take power from you. You find it difficult to move on in your life, to fulfill your life purpose. So there's a whole bunch of things that come together. So power is one of the fundamental things. And one of the first things that we teach people after basic sort of training is, how to actually acquire power and how to stop giving your power away or stop losing power. And one of the main ways we do this is through the appropriately named power animals. So one of the main things that the power animals give you is power. And uh, if you know, have a, a power animal uh, retrieved for you, you're closely associated and work with that animal, you will uh, you know, take on power aspects of that animal and the way that animal behaves. Um, so if we think about animals like the wolf or the bear, you know, they are incredibly powerful. They're exhibiting different aspects of power, um, different from the way an animal like deer would exhibit power, which obviously is a prey animal, not a predator, but they are very powerful as well. And deer and, and bear um, are the two main animals that people who are on a healing path would have as their power animals. So, so all of these animals are specific, but they all give you power of different types. 
Other spirits can also empower you either directly or they will intermediate between you and power sources. Um, so if I'm, for instance, working with a person, I can pass power to them through spirit, either by uh, collecting the power from the spirit and giving it to them, hands on healing, same way Jesus did, or by indeed merging with a spirit and then allowing that spirit to more directly pass power to the individual. In, in both cases, you're working as a facilitator, you're not doing the healing, so the, the healing is being done by spirit uh, in that case. And this this empowerment is I always use in any form of healing, and uh, it, it's one of the key key sort of rituals that I would do with any client. To be honest with you, you can also acquire power in journeys or in dreams. So uh, uh, you may go on a journey to explore this alternate reality or to do some other task, but at the same time you may actually receive power. You may receive healing. Uh, you may even be initiated by spirits in in journeys. Um, the other key sources, things like power sources and dances, uh, songs and dances, sorry. So power songs are given to you by spirit. And again, they're used in a healing context. They are very, very powerful, very nice way of working. In South America, they use terms like Icaros to describe these, and, and they're, they're very common there. Um, so power songs, power objects, which either contain power themselves or connect you to power. Um, and this is things like feathers, rocks, crystals, not just the tools like wands, etc. Um, they are very useful things, very widely used. Um, working with the elements, the elements are a fundamental power source in any type of spiritual tradition. So if you're doing any form of uh, Wiccan work or, or ceremonial magic, the elements are always involved there and certainly in shamanic work as well. So the elements are a fundamental source of power. Whenever we do ceremony, we're calling in elements, we're calling in directions, and they are bringing power into the circle that then we're going to use for our rituals. The other thing that you can do is to be in nature. And one of the things I always suggest to people is to spend more time in nature. I try and spend at least one day in nature every week. And I, if I'm in the forest, then there's a number of benefits going on. First, you're in a very high oxygen rich environment you are uh, experiencing um, some of the sort of benefits that you get from being in contact with nature spirits, especially the trees. And in general, I just find that a, a very good way to relax and get more context on what is happening when you're actually not in nature or not in wilderness. The wilderness is even better. And then that leads on to certain types of uh, rituals like medicine, walk, vision, quest, etc., which are, are very powerful, very initiatory um, in in their scope. And, and again, they involve sort of fundamental power acquisition. So I think for me, um, if people are wondering about what's the best way to do this work and what are some of the benefits, I would say that empowerment is one of the main ones. And you, you don't need to get that through shamanism. You can do that other ways, obviously, but it's one thing to bear in mind is Whatever I'm doing, I should be looking at how can I empower myself from this? What are the tools and rituals available? And look for people to teach you and to even sort of uh, lead rituals where you receive empowerment. Um, a very, very basic way of proceeding that is incredibly useful. And these are things that, let's say, for instance, you're having a day where you feel really tired or exhausted. Are those things that you do to tap into that source 
that's happened to that energy. I do things like I am that I am. I am the light of the sun. Affirmations help me a lot. But some days you're like, man, those don't seem like they're doing anything. But uh, the white light with the sun, I mean, what are things that you do to shield yourself or to tap in when you're having a day that feels like blah? Sure. So one of the ways that um, most practitioners work is, first of all, you're making sure you're grounded continuously. And, and that's a, a basic mistake a lot of people make. So if you're not grounded, you can't do anything else. So it's a prerequisite for any other form of work. To be grounded, you have to be centered. So usually your energy is sort of scattered around you. A lot of your thoughts are drifting about wherever they are. And um, if, if you are not centered, you're not particularly stable, you're not focused, you're not really able to ground properly. So the first thing to do is to call that energy back to yourself, to somewhere you regard as your center, to then ground. And then from that space, you can then work with energy and, and um, one of the common visualizations that people use is sending energy they don't need to the earth and pulling energy back from the earth to replace that energy or indeed doing the same with the sun or doing both of those things so that you're exchanging energy with the earth and with the sun and with the stars and in this way you're retrieving different types of energy so you mentioned earlier Jeffrey that the sun is often viewed as a um, uh, has a, a male deity with it, which is common. There are female solar deities as well, but typically uh, the, the sun is regarded as male and the earth is regarded as female. So from that perspective, you're also working with this male-female polarity by doing that sort of work as well. You can then work on shielding. Shielding um, implies you need protection. People don't always need protection. And again, this is one of these fear aspects creeping in that I need to be protected before I can do anything. Not necessarily true, but um, learning about basic shielding or other energetic practices like cord cutting, where you are severing connections to people or past events that are not in your interest to maintain, uh, or indeed cultivating, strengthening, or implementing cords with more positive things uh, other ways that you can proceed there to sort of do that work. So there's, there's a number of different types of work that we can do to try and work with energy which is basic work before we even start doing things that are shamanic or, or that are from from a, another particular path so essentially yeah uh, all of those things i would recommend um i would also though say to people don't feel that you need to be protected all the time a lot of people are very scared to do certain types of work because they feel that you know, something bad must happen to them and if they don't have the protection on know how to protect, protect themselves, they shouldn't do it. I would say, try not to feel that way. Um, take sensible basic precautions and obviously understand what you're getting into. Um, but don't be afraid to experiment with some of this stuff. And when it comes to cord cutting, I've seen stuff where you like ask Archangel Michael to help you and things like that. Uh, what are some of the things that you do to do, to do cord cutting? Uh, and it's like people do kind of put psychic hooks in you. And I know I've read different books about different things about it, but let's say you want a, a cord cut. What, how do you normally go about that? Yeah, so there's a wonderful book by, by Mary Shutan. Uh, we're related to, I can't remember the title, but it, it's to do with cord management. Uh, and that, that's a wonderful book, actually. She, she did a really good job with that. So essentially, you're, you're, you're right that the cords can attach themselves in different ways to you. So some of the cords are natural and may belong to you and you don't get rid of them anyway. 
other chords are implemented and some of them are benign, some of them are malignant and some of them are implemented intentionally and some of them are inadvertently. Um, so there's, there's a whole range of different things going on. If you journey to look at the chords rather than ask Michael, who's quite overworked in this, this uh, sense, to, to deal with them for you, then um, what you often see is the chords appear in either a positive manner, so they're glowing with golden light if they're things that are benevolent and should be there, and if they're not, they appear as dark or gnarly or, or negative in some sense, and they're attached with hooks or suckers or other things that you could sort of, you know, uh, view as sort of negative. And so it's from that point of view, just the appearance of the chords uh, gives you a good indication of how you should maybe proceed and which ones uh, you, 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 that you don't need. Many different ways of, of uh, removing them. Um, if you do remove them, you want to always make sure you remove the attachment uh, that the cord has as well as the cord itself. Um, and then obviously, the more that you empower yourself, uh, the less likely that you are to be corded to in any case. Uh, and the more likely you are that you can push those cords out yourself and, and stop that from happening. Um, a common way of getting rid of some of the minor cords is if you are doing shielding of some form, you're creating some energetic shield, um, not from your own energy, by the way, but from other energy, such as the earth or the sun, to then extend the shield beyond your body and have the intention that's going to dissolve those cords as it goes. And that will get rid of some of the minor ones. Uh, it won't deal with some of the stronger cords, but again, you can see a specialist practitioner who can actually do that work for you or teach you how to do it yourself. Um, but that, that is a very good way of sort of dealing with energy loss. I didn't answer your question earlier, Jeffrey, I'll just go back to that. The way that I deal with empowerment is by being grounded continuously and doing ritual on a daily basis. I'm working at a certain level of power and energy anyway. So. Uh, I, I don't feel disempowered, although if I'm doing certain types of work in the real world, uh, um, then yes, you know, you, you can experience sort of situations where you your power takes a bit of a dip. And, and I would usually just call on one of the deities I work with or one of my power animals to merge with me and, and it will just give you that boost of power immediately. So the power animals can provide power in that sense. They in some way act as bodyguards almost as well. Um, which, which is an interesting role. Um, the other main role, by the way, is to uh, transport you in the spirit world and to introduce you to other people who offer things that they don't do for you. So they in introduce you to teachers, for instance. So different ways of, of doing this work related to power and uh, lots to explore out there. A lot of it you can do yourself um, and other stuff. It's, it's always useful, you know, to uh, see people who are experienced in that area to deal with some of the stuff that you may not be aware of or may not be able to deal with yourself. So some of the calls that are uh, ancestral in nature or relate to um, past relationships where you're still corded to the person um, is, is sort of something that uh, you may not be able to do yourself. Um, and sometimes the cord is removed sometimes it doesn't need to be removed but maybe it needs to be uh, its location needs to change so very often you find that you're corded uh, in the genital area to people um, and that's an inappropriate cord and by moving the cord from that area of the body to say your midsection or the heart 
that then forms a more positive core. So again, there's different ways of, of working with this. So cord management in and of itself is quite a big topic as well. So. And I know in situations like Christina, for instance, doing nurse work, you come across other people's energy. And I know healers and stuff who deal with like uh, the Reiki and, you know, whatever, where they do healing, that stuff can kind of stick with you, that the, the darkness or negative from other people. And is that where uh, cord cutting comes in? Is there other ways to try to get rid of that that weirdness, that energy that you can gather up from other people? Yeah, so this is an occupational hazard of, of all carers, and as Christina knows, I'm sure. And uh, um, you, first of all, being aware that that's a possibility is, is useful. A lot of people who set themselves up as healers don't understand that they can be disempowered or pick up energy from the people they're trying to help. So they have great intentions, they don't understand they're making themselves sick potentially in the process. So being aware of it is, is item number one. How can you deal with it? By being more empowered yourself, you're making it less likely that you're going to be affected by it. So that, that's point number one. The other thing that you can do is to make sure that you, are, you have the intention that you are not going to sort of be affected by things or you're not going to put your energy into any sort of process as well. So this is another common problem. Um, some people who are doing healing will just inadvertently use their own energy or in sometimes consciously use their own energy because they believe that as the healer that that's the right way to proceed and of course it's not because all they're doing is that they're, they're depleting their own energy uh, their healing may or may not be effective but they're certainly having a negative impact on themselves so uh, and with people who are carers it's very natural to want to help the other people and you know sometimes that extends to them inadvertently trying to give their energy to try and sort of heal or comfort the people that they're responsible for. So that, that's something to bear in mind, that it's not always the best way of proceeding. The other things you can think about are how to just clear yourself as well. So clear yourself sort of before you go into that environment, so you're not bringing things into that situation. And then when you've finished your, your sort of, you know, shift or work day, uh, to then clear yourself as well so that you're removing some of the energy from you. And whether you're doing that through saging or floral sprays or any of these, these, these means, that is going to have some positive effect just in and of itself. Obviously, you can then pick up other forms of energy from people. Um, let's look at some of the more weirder cases. So it's not impossible that uh individuals are being possessed by one or more spirits and then that spirit can jump from that person to you so that that's the sort of radical thing that could happen that's not that common so don't don't worry about that um but you know if that does happen then again you know work can be done to remove those spirits from you and, and there are lots of people out there that are trained to do that sort of work and whether it's depossession or whether it's other means of getting rid of the spirits, uh, you know, it's certainly possible to address it through that as well. So a number of different ways of approaching it, a number of different things that can happen. Uh, awareness is key. Intention not to give your power away is, is uh, very important. Um, taking sensible sort of precautions to make sure you're clearing energy off of you to the extent that you can will help as well. So I, I hope that's of some use. Um, obviously, there's a, a, a lot of different things that can go wrong in that context. So you can't just say, yeah, just do these things and it'll be okay. It's gonna vary a little bit depending upon the situation of the person, but uh, hopefully some of the basics will help in general anyway.
like I've I've seen books mention like when people leaving like astral weapons in you like when they attack you and strange things like that is that something that you come across or deal with like I forget the lady's name but I've had her on before uh, she has a book with affirmations and things like that uh, but it, like I, they call them like weird like I don't know it's kind of creepy is that something that comes up like when you get a wound from somebody it's like a weapon almost or something yeah so that's something we see in the the again the the tribal cultures and, and other societies where that's quite common um they're often referred to in in south american traditions they'll talk about magical darts being used in this manner and so they're being directed to the person and entering their energy body um that's just one example of uh, um one of many types of intrusion that can actually get into your energy body which is is the other way that this starts affecting you so that's spiritual energy essentially and that spiritual energy often has a negative symbol so it looks like a weapon or it looks like a a dark color or it looks like an insect um those are sort of common symbology associated with that type of intrusion the way that we deal with those is through a healing modality called extraction healing and there are many different ways that's done um so traditionally people would suck those things out of you that carries some danger because you can inadvertently take that energy into your body and so the practitioners often took precautions and they would put um, tobacco wedges in their mouth when they were doing that work because tobacco is very attractive to spirits and so if that spirit energy they inadvertently took into them it would be trapped in the tobacco and then they would spit it out um, you can do the extraction healing without doing the sucking and there are several ways of doing that um, but what you are essentially doing is you are identifying where that intrusion is in the body and then you're removing it and you're typically doing that in conjunction with a, a healing spirit who you're merged with um, that is offering you protection from that energy as well and then you are disposing of it in an appropriate way in the um, south american tradition um, there's a process called illumination healing which is the same sort of thing but you're dealing with it in a different way. In that sense, you're working with solar energy, again, which you're bringing in through your eighth chakra, and you're using that to dissolve those intrusions. So slightly different ways of working with them, whether we're physically extracting it, dissolving it in situ, um, but it all comes under that broad term of extraction healing. And there's uh, one thing that I've always found fascinating is the trickster element and a lot of the different cultures with shamanism that they bring up like coyote like i have a lot of those folklore books those are some weird things but they're fun to read but very weird is that something that comes up in, in your studies a lot do you with the trickster energy yeah indeed indeed and and some of those those stories are wonderful you know they're morality tales usually and you see them in in all cultures and it's usually the same animals in all cultures as well so apart from coyotes and foxes uh it's rabbits obviously that's where a rabbit comes from um or bugs, bugs bunny um and we also see this in spiders which is the other animal that is, is commonly mentioned here tricksters you also see in mythology so uh, you know Loki uh, and these other characters uh, exhibit this trickster behavior and tricksters people sometimes view as negative they're not they're teachers so they are teaching us something quite fundamental that we need to know and showing us different ways of approaching things so uh, the tricksters in mythology often help humanity by doing things like stealing fire from the gods which doesn't always end well for them 
Um, so, you know, they are sort of beneficial in some sense to us, and we should look to tricksters as primarily being educators. People who have a trickster power animal, I always impress upon them, this is a great opportunity to work with not just the animal, but with the trickster aspect of it as well, and there's potentially additional wisdom you can gain from that route. And yeah, we, we, we see tricksters in literally in, in all cultures. So a lot of this stuff is is completely global. It's, it's transversal across all peoples. And the trickster work is is fascinating. And, uh, you know, we do particular types of ritual to um, try and introduce ourselves to tricksters, work with them, use them in particular ritual contexts. So and there's a lot of specialist stuff that we do with them. But uh, yeah, interesting things to work with, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. And Coyote, it's definitely fascinating and uh the way as i've had I have some animal cards and stuff where he's in it and they tell the story and supposedly brought fire to humanity and different stories right. like that and uh it's definitely fascinating i had a guest on the show a native lady and her friend made this coyote like shawl for me that i have that's pretty cool uh there's also some dj conway chant that i've used for coyote and i probably did it too much like so like i was a superhero or something chanting that anytime i got in trouble i had to stop doing that i got too too rough i think it's trickster shape changer keep me from danger cunning magician show your show me your ways of magical fire powers much higher leave me to new life brighten my days it's kind of like my weird superhero chant i've had to stop doing so much it gets you in trouble but that's dj conway one of i think in one of her books animal magic it's pretty fascinating oh another thing i was going to tell you we saw that northman movie the northman uh really good but brutal and it, it's got the berserkers in it and uh, one of the scars guard brothers uh he's the brother to the guy one of the guys that played the it and i know his dad's an actor for they're all from sweden but really good but definitely brutal brutal too brutal but you know it's good but there's a lot of imagery of the norse like odin and stuff in it and uh the valkyries and it's 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 definitely a good watch but there are some scenes in it you're like oh that's too much <laughs> but uh that guys did some pretty interesting movies the witch that's pretty weird about yep. the black goat and all that stuff he's supposed to be doing a nosferatu which uh, he's having trouble making that one for some reason but he also did the lighthouse with that uh william defoe and robert pattinson yeah, that was a good saying, film that yeah. was crazy <laughs> passing wind in the lighthouse <laughs> and mermaids but yeah, yeah but really good but if you get can see the northman it yeah. was really good as well that guy's yeah. a good filmmaker i hope he pulls off nosferatu but last i heard he was having some some difficulty for some reason with that one uh i would like to see another nosferatu though for sure i know what's really, what's really interesting is the way that this norse uh, culture is coming through now in in you know the Marvel films obviously um, and, yeah. and it resonates deeply with people and, and obviously a lot of people in the US have European roots that are either from Scandinavia from Northern Britain from Germany um, so they have this it's in their blood and it resonates with them uh, it, it's really interesting to see that that sort of take off with people actually becoming much more interested in it and uh, you've got the new religion, Asatra, of course, which is the, the modern day sort of Viking religion from, from Iceland, but it also has um, an equivalent in the US. There's a, a sister religion to it, but very fascinating to see some of the old stuff coming back and people adopt it. 
And we just saw some of those countries, the Vikings, rise up against the, the Putin situation with NATO and all that. That was pretty pretty fascinating, uh, joining NATO, I think Finland, and I forget who else. But uh, I have... Yeah, I have some Scandinavian in my DNA. It's not as much as I'd like, but it's there. But Ireland and all that, the Vikings hit there. They hit Europe. They're everywhere, man. <laughs> they hit the crap out of everybody. They're fascinating. So even if you have those, you have Vikings on some level in your blood. I love that kind of history. I like the show Vikings, even though it's kind of overdramatic with a lot of things. But the Norfolk's better for sure. What's another one? The Last Kingdom. That's pretty good. That's uh, the one based on the Bernard Cornwall books and everything. That, I, that's pretty good. I need to watch the newest season of that. Uh, I know what I wanted to ask you. Uh, this is your first book, right? Is, is this your first book? Yeah, it's the first book. Um, so I, I've been writing it for a while, actually. It uh, took about five years to put that together. But it was done over time because I'm using the experiences of, of people that have been at my workshops. And so it takes time to cover that, that amount of territory. Um, there is a second book that's written already, actually. So if the first one sells, then uh, we'll, we'll probably nice. push that one nice. out as well. Um, I, ha but I have some I've wrote. It, it's hard once you haven't done it for a while to do it. It's grueling. Yeah. It's, I haven't done it in years. And it's just a pain in the butt but I, i'm glad that you finally got yours and did, and you got llewellyn that that's a big big find did it take a while to get a publisher and then it hit how was that experience yeah that was quite unexpected actually and i i've been working on the book for a while and, and i thought i i either need to finish this off or just stop working on it because it was taking up a lot of time so i i quickly finished it and thought i'll send it off and get it rejected and then i can still stop this stuff and i send it to llewellyn and they they they, they said yeah we, we, we like this we'd like to publish it so that was that was a bit of a surprise to be honest with you and they're they're a wonderful publisher obviously and the people there are great to work with they, they really are um of course if you do get a book published that's just the start of it because then you need to rewrite it a couple of times <laughs> so that that also takes some time because typically your 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 book is being positioned to be published in a pipeline that's 12 to 18 months in the future and there's a lot of stuff you need to tidy up in the book each time you read your own work, as, as you know, Jeffrey, you see things in it, you think, oh, God, what do they do that for? And you, you want to improve it. And that process can go on forever. So it's a case of, uh, um, you know, trying to know when to stop and, and then you know, um, get it out the door if it's, if it's in a suitable state. One of the things I wanted just to say is that people who are interested in writing books, that, again, doing work like shamanic work gives you all sorts of wonderful resources to uh, get input into writing so not just connecting to muse type spirits but you know there are some wonderful things you can do like journeying to see your book journeying to discuss with the spirit of the book what it's about how you should write it etc um, journeying to the characters in the book um, journeying to read reviews of the book once it's been published um, to get ideas about it now and people think, well, that's cheating, surely, if you do that sort of thing. But, well, no, you wrote the book in the first place, so it's not, actually. Um, so th there's a number of different ways you can think about creativity with this spiritual work as well that, that you know, leads into this and encourages you to do stuff. Um, so I, I do a lot of work with um, people who are, are doing writing and uh, convince them to sort of try different ways. And it seems to work very well, actually. So what I would say to people is if you're stuck, maybe think about a different way of proceeding and, uh, you know, don't, don't just stay stuck, but try something else and try and, you know, 
think of some different ways of moving forward or different ways to getting input into uh, uh, the creative process. Uh, and pay attention to what's happening in your dreams as well, because that's a wonderful opportunity to get ideas. And it's a, a place where spirit will um, put things into the dream for you to see. Um, so there are some wonderful resources you can do for dream work as well in creativity. And uh, it's been great having you on. The book is Shamanism, Your Personal Journey to Healing and Self-Discovery. Uh, Mark Nelson, do you have any links you want to give out or anything? So if people want to find out more about me, um, they can get me at marknelson.io, which is my personal website. Um, we'll be having some other things coming out later in the year, but that's the best place to, uh, if you want to get in touch with me. Um, and by all means, if anybody uh, has any questions, uh, you can contact me at that site, and I'm more than happy to talk to people, um, you know, give them uh, referrals to others where I can't help them directly. Um, I'm trying to be in the U.S. next year, I'll certainly make a point of uh, um, um, getting in touch with you, Jeffrey, and uh, popping by to see you if I can. So I'm going to be in Florida and uh, Georgia. Um, so we'll try and make that happen. Cool, cool. And it's been a pleasure having you on. It's great to have you in our uh, Shamanism Hall of Fame. I always love doing these interviews. And uh, we appreciate it. If you do any remote healing and want to send us a thunderbolt or why, please do a zap. <laughs> we could use it. Well, that's for well, sure. Good. And I appreciate it. And thanks so much. And keep me in the loop. We'll definitely get you on again for sure in the future. Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks very much. Thanks, Christina. Very nice to meet you. Good luck with your, your work. And thanks, Jeffrey. Um, nice to be on. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Christina. It's amazing she didn't drop. We did say a prayer and stood in the sun and let that light fill us before we started. And I was like, please don't let it drop. And it didn't. So it was doing it like crazy. So that's pretty miraculous. But we appreciate it. Have a good one, everybody. Have a good weekend. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Night. Take care, Mark. I'll be in touch. Take care. Okay. In the